glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Protection spiritually of those who are here that in the name of love, we're told to open our hearts and minds to deceit. If you love people, you just believe anything and you treat them like they love the truth even if they don't. And I believe John is warning this elect lady and her children, truth and love, love doesn't mean you check discernment and discretion at the door. So let me put it this way. I love my children, therefore I keep an eye on those who want to influence them. So can you love two people one time? Yes. But because I love my children, I have a responsibility to protect them. So there are those who want to influence them. And because I love my children, I have to be discerning and discreet about who I let influence their lives and how much. Uh, I'm not perfect at that. God is. But the point is, many today who would want to harm my children or harm members of this church. So for instance, as a pastor, I can tell you, there are people throughout the years this church has existed that want to bring various doctrines and philosophies and ideas into this church. When you confront that and say, no, we don't teach that here, we don't preach that here, we don't practice that here, what do you think is the number one charge given when you say we don't allow that? You don't love people. I thought you were loving. Years ago we were dealing with a number of the the, uh, errant doctrines of the charismatic movement. had a number of people in here who were charismatic in their doctrine, and they were just visiting. They, of course, could not become members of the church. But it's the one thing that was brought up when I said, we don't do that. And they said, well, I thought the Spirit of God shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. Well, He does. And because He does, we love the Lord more than we love anybody. And love for God makes us fiercely loyal to Him. And may I say this? We must be loyal to the Word of God over any person including ourselves. We must be loyal to His Word over anything else. And I think that's what John is trying to communicate and help to this elect lady and her children understand. There's people going to come in, and, and if you don't couple love and truth together, if it's just truth, then you've missed the point of truth. Truth is about being able to minister God's grace to people. But if you don't couple uh, truth with love, then truth is harmful. But if you have love without truth, you're going to open yourselves up to destruction from Satan. And so, is God love or is He truth? And the answer is yes. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord Jesus will not compromise what is true because He loves So he's not going to say there's not a literal hell because that might upset people because that wouldn't be true. He is not going to say if you don't repent, you get to go to heaven anyway because that's not true. But because he loves people and he knows that repentance toward God and faith in him is the only way of salvation, because he loves, he'll tell the truth. May I say this, the pulling back of bold evangelism, which means proclaiming the truth about the souls of men, is a love problem. It is a problem. We're about to go to a missions conference. I don't know of any two, any better theme than the theme of truth and love going into a missions conference because the Bible says that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, you know as well as I do, telling the truth about who God is and about people's condemned state is not well received generally. Never has been, by the way. 
They stoned Stephen for it, did they not? Uh, many, many were persecuted. It's never been well received. But why do we do that? Why go knock on doors, pass out tracts, witness to your co-workers, strike up a conversation with someone you never met so you can start talking about the things of the Lord, pay a visit to somebody who visited church. Why do those things? Love. I love the Lord and He told me to. And I love them because He loved them enough to die for them. I love them enough to tell them the truth. And today, we're in a culture that pulls back. and we have a, It's a culture that's in our flesh. So I don't want to blame everything on the culture, but it's become so vogue to lie in the name of love. May I say this? A lie is never love. Never. Who is the father of all lies? Is there an ounce of love in Satan? He's a murderer from the beginning. And so the emphasis, and I've entitled this series out of 2 John, Truth and Love. title for tonight's message is The Supremacy of Truth because in the first four verses of 2 John, guess what word shows up in the first four verses? Every verse, first four verses. Truth, 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 truth. And so then we need to see uh, through this how truth and love are married together. And we'll begin tonight with considering the supremacy of truth. He emphasizes that even before he emphasizes love. Let me give you just another uh, tidbit or two here. I said we'd mention this. In the verse 1, it says, The uh, elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. He, uh, he addresses this. Of course, it's John. It doesn't say his name, but it's very clearly John the Apostle. He calls himself the elder. Uh, and obviously that would mean a couple of things. He's elder. Uh, he's older by now. John was the oldest apostle. My understanding is that this was written uh, 60 years after the Lord Jesus uh, ascended to heaven. It's likely John's pushing 90 years old, nearing his death. And so it, this is on down the line a good good ways. Uh, John is older here, and he's also a leader, a spiritual leader in the churches, and so as an apostle. And so we understand that. But the elect lady, who's this? This is deep. We don't know. Uh, we, we, we can theorize. My, my leaning, and that's all this is, this is in doctrine, is that he's, he is referring to a church. That's what a lot of guys would think. We, we would... We would think of a church as a lady and her children would be those who have been saved and added to the church. But I can't prove that. It could be very likely a, a woman that, uh, that, that he was uh, responsible for her spiritually. I've had suggested to me, and it's been suggested in my reading, maybe this was the mother of the Lord Jesus that John was entrusted to care for. Well, that's a neat theory, but I have no idea. Uh, it was suggested, I'll just give you what you might read if you read a commentary. Perhaps he would refer to her by code because the Gnostics were denying the uh, the, uh, and the, the, the deceivers are denying the, uh, the physical birth of Jesus Christ. What, who more would you want to get rid of than marry the mother of the Lord Jesus if you are promoting that false doctrine? Makes for good theory. Here's what we know. The Spirit of God does not find it fit to tell us who the elect lady is because that's not what is important. Uh, whether someone at a local church or an individual woman who's been saved and is one of God's children, what we know when, in referring to this person as the elect lady, this is someone who's born again. That's how you become part of the elect, by being born again, uh, receiving by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's her and her children. What applies to her and her children applies to you and I, and that's what matters. So I thought we would mention those things as we jump into this. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. The elder unto the elect lady and her children... Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, 
which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. In these first four verses, I believe the Spirit of God through John is emphasizing four different things about the truth that we can see right here in the Word of God. Number one in verse one is that truth is endearing. I'll use these words and explain what I mean. Truth is endearing. Notice what he says. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love. What are the next three words? In the truth. That word love there is agape, that word we're familiar with. It's godly love. This was not, as has been mentioned by a number of writers, it's important to mention this. John is not writing a romance letter. He is writing a letter of spiritual instruction. This is godly love whom I love in the truth. Meaning... What facilitated John's love for this this elect lady? Their common relationship with the truth. I'm going to make a point here in a minute. It says, and not I only. I not only love you in the truth, but also all they that have known the truth. Everyone that's known the truth that I believe and that you believe uh, loves you as well. This tells me that the common denominator that produces genuine love is belief of the truth. Bear with me here. If, if you're familiar with what we would call the ecumenical movement. Now, we as independent Baptist preachers get in trouble for being opposed to ecumenicism because, once again, an ecumenicism is when denominations, Christian denominations so-called, are willing to drop some of their differences for the sake of the common furtherance of the gospel. Now, doesn't that sound good? So in order to further the truth, we're going to pretend that some things aren't true. Isn't that it? Let me ask you a question. Should this church pretend that we don't know what to believe about water baptism in order to further the gospel? Let me ask you something. If you falsely teach about water baptism, don't stay true to what the Bible teaches about it, do you create another gospel? But ecumenicism says, well, there are doctrinal differences between Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics and all these people that claim to be Christian, but we have a job to do, and unity is the goal. So what we have to do is there are certain things that the Bible addresses that we just can't agree on because none of us know what's true. only thing we know that's true is that Jesus is the Son of God. That's all we know. So let's agree on that and everything else act like we don't know what's true. The only way we don't know what's true about everything else is if the Bible doesn't tell us. Amen? There are folks that act like the truth is lost back in the original languages and the original manuscripts of Scripture that somehow perhaps the Holy Spirit of God deceased along the way and that we don't really know what's true. Some act today that you can't get a settled answer on whether or not you keep your salvation or lose it. But may I say this, you you open that Bible with an honest heart and God will give you an answer that when He saves, He saves to the uttermost. That He saves completely. The life He gives is eternal. It's not rocket science. You don't have to be a Calvinist, you don't have to be an Arminian, you just have to be a Bible believer to get the truth about salvation that God saves, God keeps saved, and we, we trust, that's our part. We trust, He saved. My point is this, 
there is a, a behavior that says, we, we don't know. And look, if the Bible doesn't make something clear, then it doesn't matter. But there's a host of things it does make clear. And where the Bible speaks clearly, we know the truth. If you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you, you have the truth. What I'm trying to say is the unity is not the goal. Adherence to the truth is the goal. And what unifies is a mutual belief in, love for, and knowledge of the truth. It's truth that is the endearing factor. And so there are many today that say we need to endeavor. Jim and Jeff and I were just talking about this the other night. We need to endeavor to keep the uh, spirit of unity. You hear what I just said? Isn't that what Ephesians 4 says? Oh, endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity. No, endeavoring to keep the unity of the, the spirit in the bond of peace. Meaning the goal is agreement with the spirit of God. When you agree with the Holy Spirit... And I agree with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? This is rocket science. We agree with each other. John said, my basis of my love for you, elect lady, is your love of the truth. It was truth that endeared them one to another. You know what makes a strong New Testament church? And this is true for Bonner's Ray Baptist Church. When we love the truth. When every member of this church and every family says, you know what? We love what God says because the word of God is truth. And we will be fiercely loyal to the truth. And therefore, when you are fiercely loyal to the truth, there is no fellowship like fellowship formed around the facts. Amen? And so then what happens today when we say, well, we don't want to draw any clear lines of distinction. Say, we absolutely believe this. And if you believe in the outside of this, we don't agree with you. Because that, that, that disturbs unity. It makes you divisive. Well, truth does divide. It does. It divides between honest and dishonest people. It divides between the saved and the lost. I mean, truth does divide, but truth also unites. Truth unites those who believe the truth. And, uh, and so then, here's what we have. Truth is endearing. By that we mean truth is the basis of love. John says, I love you, elect lady, whom I love in the truth, and not only I... But everyone else that knows the truth loves you as well. So the basis of our love is our mutual submission to the truth of God's word, the boundaries of that. The only thing that puts boundaries on that love is anyone that's outside of the truth. May I say this? In the years that this church has been here, we have had hundreds, if not a thousand people pass through these doors year in and year out. And I I pray and, and seek God to make sure we're not ever offending someone, meaning our behavior, my own or that of our church, our conduct in any way is causing someone who otherwise would have believed the truth to turn away from it because of us. Now that's wicked. But how many have come and gone because there was not a love for what's true? I want to hear a message, but when the truth is revealed, then that makes me have a perspective I don't want. So I'd rather go somewhere. Look, we can't change that. What ought to make people feel comfortable and at home in Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is a mutual love for the Word of God, for the truth. Amen? And that's true in any biblical church. Go to Ephesians 4. I've referenced it a couple times. Let's go there real quickly. So we find in verse 1 of 2 John that truth is endearing. It is the basis and forms the boundaries of of this kind of love. Not that we can't love other people, but a, a, a reciprocating love that's, that you find in the family of God is based upon the truth and the boundaries are formed 
by the truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, uh, forbearing one another in love. There's that word. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now if you would roll forward for the context of what we're looking at. In verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, talking about those vocational gifts, those calling gifts of of, uh, teaching and preaching and overseeing and so forth. Verse 12, four, here's why he gave those gifts. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the faith of of unity or unity of the faith. Ecumenicism says we will develop a faith that's based on unity where unity is the goal, and we will decide what we can and cannot believe based upon whether or not we can unite. That's no good. No, it's the unity of the faith. Our mutual faith in God's Word unifies us. Okay, Do we all come together in the unity of the faith? Uh, Verse 13, And the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. We speak the truth because we love. It's truth that solidifies your faith. I thought the other day, it's just amazing how the Lord brings us full circle. When it comes to witnessing to people... You know, there's times it becomes like this, This, um, in my mind, trying to win someone to the saving faith in Jesus Christ, this uh, this super spiritual thing. It, it, it takes the Spirit of God, it takes Him to give you boldness. But have you realized when it boils down to it, people get saved when they believe what the Bible says. It's really that simple. When they, You ask me, how do you know you're saved? Well, I go to the Bible. The Bible says that if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be saved. That if I turn to Him in faith because I am repentant toward God, I look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, revealed in His Word. The Bible tells me, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The basis of my salvation is what God says. Period. Anything, Any other salvation than that is not really salvation. It's not an experience I had. It's not the way I felt after I prayed. It's not the tingling of my spine. It's not... Uh, the, the basis of my salvation is the Word of God. That's it. So when you and I go out, you know what people need to hear? They need to hear the truth because we love them, because we love Him. In church, we need to hear the truth because we love. As a pastor, one of the most loving things I can do is faithfully open the Bible and preach the truth of what God says because that's what builds us up in our most holy faith. I don't get, look, I'll tell you, there are certain things that encourage my faith. When God answers a specific prayer, that encourages my faith. But you know as well as I do, if your faith is based upon answered prayers, meaning as I see God answer my prayers, then I know God can be trusted. No, that's not the way that works. You know God can be trusted, and then you'll see answered prayers. I get answered prayers when I act upon what God says. So my faith in God answering prayers is on His Word. That's why truth is so important. We must communicate the truth. If we love, we must speak the truth. If we're going to speak the truth, we must do it in love. John says truth is endearing. It is what 
I'm telling you, it's what builds strong churches because it's the only way God builds a church is on the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of unity. Unity is a fruit of being loyal to the truth. Amen? And so then if we have to, let me put it to you this way. Let me put you in the pastor's shoes for just a minute or the teacher of the Sunday school class or the preacher, whatever it may be. Someone's communicating the truth to, 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 to the church in some level. There, but as a pastor, there undoubtedly are times when we come to the Word of God and there's something that's true. And you know that there are those in our midst who do not believe that truth. And then what do we do? Preach it or not? So we need to keep this church together. We need to retain folk. So then the temptation is to what? Not to tell a lie, just not tell the truth. Is that right to do that? No way. Why? What, what really is going on there is we want to unify, keep everybody united. May I say this? If our unity is not based on love for the truth, it won't last. And so what John's saying is truth is endearing. Uh, I love you, elect lady, in the truth. And not only I, but all that know the truth love you as well. When you love the truth, you love others who love the truth. And so it's endearing. Number two, in verse two, Second John verse two, uh, we find that truth is not only endearing, he makes the point that truth is eternal. Truth doesn't change. Truth is eternal. And so verse 2 says, uh, let me just read verse 1 to keep it in context. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us until we lose the originals. Huh? Now, I know a lot of preachers today who would never, ever state what I just said, but that's what they believe. How do I know for sure what God said? Well, you've got to get back in those original languages, and you've got to compare all the different Bibles, and hopefully you'll come up with what he really said. You know what that's saying? We don't have the truth. What they're saying is one of the reasons we don't have agreement amongst ourselves is because we don't really know what's true. I mean, a lot of the Bible we do know, but there's some parts... I mean, I really, I want to know. I want to know. There are Bibles that have taken away Acts chapter 8, verse 37. You say, wait a minute. The Spirit of God is the one that's the author of truth. That's right. He's the author of this Bible. Now, I understand you have the Bible and not get the truth out of it because you don't have the Spirit of God. But we do have the author of the book living in our hearts to give us an understanding. Oh, I believe that. Do you? He promised to preserve his truth. And so today, if verse 2 is true, guess what we still have? We have the truth about creation. We have the truth about sin. We have the truth about what it takes to have your sins forgiven. We have the truth about heaven. We have the truth about hell. We have the truth about human behavior. We have the truth about what God expects of us once we're saved. We have the truth about what a church ought to be. We have the truth about the family. We have the truth about money. We have the truth because we have the very Word of God if the truth endures forever. And it does because He said it does. So good is he at preserving it that he preserved the very statement that the truth shall be with us, God's people, for how long? Forever. How many of you know that the Roman Catholic Church made a strong concerted effort leading up to and in through the dark ages to stamp out the truth? To stamp out every scripture, withhold it from man by making sure they couldn't get it in their own tongue. And God overcame their effort. So that today we still have the truth, though human governments have tried to stamp it out, have tried to silence it. 
Our government today is still trying to silence the truth of God. They promote evolution as though it's a fact and they decry creation as though it's error. You know what they're doing? They're saying it's not true. We don't know. The very, the very concept of even considering evolution says we don't know what's true. Look at friend. We know what's true. We know how we got here. He told us in the Bible and in our conscience. We, every human being has some concept of how we got here. You may not be able to explain it if you've not read your Bible, but you know there's a creator because he put that in your heart. The fact of the matter is, even saying that we might not know is already revealing I'm being deceived and a deceiver because the truth is known. So my point is this, verse 2, truth is eternal. A few things about this. The first thing he says is that truth must be a priority. He says, I'm writing to you, elect lady, because I love you in the truth, and I'm writing for the truth's sake. He was earnestly contending for the faith. He's saying, I am writing to you to defend the truth, to make sure you stay loyal to the truth. I'm writing for the truth's sake. Again, what better concept for a local church to get a hold of than to be reminded why we exist. The first few words, four words of verse 2, it reminds us why Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is in existence today. For the truth's sake. We are not here for the sake of merely having a church. We're not here to give us nice friendships. I praise God for the friendships, but we are created by God and placed in this location to make sure that the lost know the truth of the gospel and the saved can have the truth that will help them be solid, strong, fruitful Christians. Our sole reason for existence is for the truth's sake. Therefore, that's that's why the, the 99% of what we emphasize is it's about preaching the truth. Whether it's in the church service, singing the truth in hymns, or teaching it in the Sunday school class, or preaching it as we are here tonight, our job is to give the truth. That's why we create, have gospel tracts that you can hand out. Those tracts, you know what? Those tracts are thoroughly vetted to make sure they're not promoting something that's not true. Amen? We want to make sure that our message is in line with God's Word because we live for the truth's sake. It's us. Look, that's what it means to say we're, we're the light of the world. It's God's people. It's the local church that must uphold the truth. And so John writes, he says, truth must be the priority. I write, I love you, and therefore I'm writing for the truth's sake. So that's the priority of truth. Number two, he deals with the possession of truth. He says, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us. I find that very interesting. It dwells in us and shall be with us. Now, how does it dwell in us? I already stated it. By the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 16 says that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. When I hear debate, and I've heard a lot of it over the translation of the Bible and the transmission of God's words from one language to another, I hear a lot about linguistics, and certainly you have to have the tool of linguistics to be able to do that. I hear a lot about translation methods. I hear about text. You know the one thing I have heard very little about? especially from textual critics you won't hear about, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. I believe with all my being, if I'm going to believe the Bible, and I believe the Bible to be the Word of God, that if we lost every Bible on planet Earth and you couldn't find it, the Holy Spirit of God could give utterance of it again as it was in the very originals, if He wanted to. I'm not telling you I believe in double inspiration. There was no need. God preserved it. But the fact is, the promise of God right here is the truth is in us. God has vested the, whole, the truth, the author of the Bible, in the heart of the believer. 
so that you pick up something that's not true and someone inside of you says, something's wrong with that. got a call from someone here recently and they said, I'm attending a church and I'm hearing what's being preached and something doesn't ring true. Now, I think there's some things that could have and should have been seen before to know that couldn't be true. They said, would you look into this church? And this pastor said, sure, look into it. Well, I had done just a little research. It was quickly evident this, this, this church was teaching false doctrine. They couldn't tell you what it was because the gospel was given pretty clearly, but they could say something's not right, something's not right. And you may have heard somebody on the radio. I've heard people on the radio at times and say, everything they're saying seems true, but something's wrong. When you have that, pay attention, go back over it, and prove it out. Find out what it is. And my point is this, we have the truth in us, but then he also says this, and it shall be with us forever. Meaning, God's never going to have his people at a time where they don't have the truth. I'm going to preserve it. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You with me thus far? God says, I'm going to keep my truth. It's going to be with you forever. Though Satan make every effort to stamp out what is true, I'm going to make sure you have it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is what's going to distinguish really being a Bible scholar, being someone who actually believes the Word of God, and that is believing... God only inspired Scripture. God has preserved it. And He promised to. He promised to. And so He has. It's in us, yes. That's not all He said, though. Because someone would say, well, we have the truth in us. We don't have to have a Bible. He said, in us and with us. We have the truth with us. That doesn't mean every person has a copy of the Scriptures. I understand that. But God's people have the truth. Amen? And so then, uh, the, the truth is eternal. The priority of truth. And by the way, the way we reasoning keep that promise is because he gave the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. The priority of truth, the possession of truth, and then he speaks, of course, of the perpetuity of the truth. He would bring all things to our remembrance and guide us into all truth. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so then, truth is endearing, truth is eternal, number three. In verse three, truth is expedient. Explain myself. It says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father. Now, this is a, a, a greeting you'll find very close to this in many of the epistles of the New Testament. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And what's he say next? In truth and love. So the emphasis in verse 1 is truth is the basis of our fellowship. The emphasis in verse 2 is we have the truth forever. The emphasis in verse 3 is truth and love are the vehicles by which God gives you his grace, mercy, and peace. Truth and love, that's the, that is the tool, the, 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 the channel through which God is going to give you grace, mercy, and peace. This, this truth is found throughout the Scripture, that we receive the grace of God through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you know about Jesus Christ, the more of His grace is imparted to you through that knowledge. The truth about Christ, when you realize... I'm grateful He died for me, but He lives and He intercedes for me and He is ready to succor me in my time of temptation and He's coming again and He's going to establish you. I mean, the more you learn about Him, the more established your faith will be. God ministers His grace, 
His mercy and His peace. By the way, I think they're given in that order. You could change those around, but peace is the fruit of having God's grace and mercy. Remember what Hebrews 4 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, and we may obtain uh, find grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you connect prayer uh, to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4, 16, talking about prayer and grace and mercy obtained through Jesus Christ in prayer, and then the peace that comes as a result. Let me ask you something. Is your prayer more effectual the more you know of the one you're praying to? God's grace, mercy, and peace. That's I've titled that the inventory of God, His grace and His mercy. Grace, I think of grace this way. Grace is the practical, the practical imparting to us God's resources for our needs, not because we deserve them, because He's good. So grace is really, really God's love in practical application to our lives. He loves us and He bestows on us what we need when we trust Him. So we need forgiveness of sins. He saves us by grace. We need strength to conquer temptation. He imparts His power and strength us to overcome by His grace. We have failed to do so. We have failed to overcome temptation because we didn't look to Him. And we know we erred and we sinned. Now we need His mercy. Why should God ever help me again? Shouldn't He just cut me off and say, You didn't listen. I told you to come to me in prayer and I'd help you. And you ignored me and tried to do it on your own. Have it your way. No, then we need mercy. Lord, I don't deserve for you to hear me again. But because Christ is my Savior, I entreat you on that account. Would you please be merciful and would you please give me your grace? Grace and mercy. And then that gives peace. Because all of a sudden you realize your ability to carry out the life God's called you to do is not really about your ability. It's about His ability. Amen? Grace, mercy. And I don't, nothing gives me more peace than this. If I ever start thinking about my salvation, I start thinking about me, it makes me doubt. But when I think about my salvation, I think about Jesus Christ, I go, oh, hallelujah. He is able to save and if I know this in my heart, it's 100% His hands. I say, well, I'm good with that. You know, when I come to the Christian life and say, man, I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure it out. Well, I've got to work harder at this. And we do need to work harder. But I've got to figure it out. I say, man, I'm more, I can never live up to what I'm supposed to be. But now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory. Then I think, oh, if it's about His ability... Well, he has all wisdom. He has all might, power, strength, courage. He has everything I'm deficient in. His grace, his mercy gives me peace. How does he communicate that to us? Through truth and love. When you extract truth from your life, you're extracting and you're cutting off God's grace for your life. When we avoid truths in the Bible, so well, that truth makes me uncomfortable. God's love is ministered to us through his truth. Because he loves us, he tells us that... How many of you ever read... Am I alone? You ever read your Bible and at times God seems harsh? No? You read your Old Testament and you go, wow, God seems harsh. What? He didn't withhold that truth. Did he know it would make us think that way? But there's some things we need to learn, isn't there? Many times what needs to happen is we need to redefine what love is because we have a self-centered view of love. 
Love is when things go the way I want them to, then I know somebody loves me. Well, that's not God's view because that's not what's best for us. My point would be this. God's inventory, that's his grace, mercy, and peace. God's integrity, John is careful to say, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. He is making sure to say, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Father are one. It's not as though one has one attributes and the other has another. Their attributes are exactly the same. He's talking about the integrity of the Godhead. There's no no discrepancy in any person of the Godhead. Grace, truth, and mercy. So that's God's integrity. And then thirdly, his instruments, as we said, are the vehicles by which he works. He says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. These things, grace, mercy, and peace, are ministered to you through truth and love, combined together. And so then we come to our final point, verse 4. We've seen truth is endearing, verse 1. Truth is eternal, verse 2. Truth is expedient, verse 3. In verse 4, truth is effectual. He says in verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. You know what he's saying? I found your children, elect lady, living lives consistent with what they say they believe. So today, how many of us believe that we're to be holy for the Lord our God is holy? Okay, now that's a broad statement. So, oh, I believe it. I believe it's true that the child of God should be holy. Okay, let's put some feet to that. What does that mean with my walk? Somebody help me now. What does it mean? If I'm going to be holy as the Lord my God is holy, doesn't that have some practical implications? I hear people saying that, and you can, you can take me to task if you wish, but you, you examine the walk of their life. I cannot look at their heart, but the walk does reveal something. So it says, I believe we're to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. I don't have a problem with drinking booze. I don't have a problem with tattooing my body. I don't have a problem with dressing immodestly. I don't have a problem with listening to the music that sounds just like rock and roll, though they call it Christian. I don't have a problem with using a curse word now and again. But boy, I believe we're to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Pardon me, but no, you don't. If your beliefs do not affect your actions, something's wrong. Truth is effectual. When I believe something, it affects what I do. If I told you, man, I believe we're to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But when given the opportunity to do so, I won't. Do I really believe it? No. I can say whatever I want to until I'm blue in the face. But if I say that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is supposed to come out of my mouth and fall on the ears of another human being and it never happens, then my belief... It's not affecting my practice. When it's truth, it's effectual. Does that make sense? Truth is effectual. You know what John's saying? He says, when truth is embraced, then truth is expressed in what we do. James said it this way, faith without works is dead, being alone. And you know what John's saying? He said, I did not find the faith of your children to be without works. I found that their walk matched their profession." They were walking in truth. The truth they believe was changing the way they walked. It's affecting the way they live. If I say, you know, oh, I believe, I believe we ought to read our Bibles. We ought to hide God's Word in our heart, but I won't read it. I won't memorize it. I won't, you know, tuck it in my heart and retain some of God's Word as promises for me. Something's out of kilter there. 
And so, the point is, truth is effectual. Truth, when received, changes us. Truth changes us. What did Jesus pray in John 17, 17? He said, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil. I believe that's maybe verse 16. Sanctify them through thy truth. Do you know what cleans up a life? Truth. When I get, look, how many of us would immediately say, we believe Jesus is coming again? And here's the thing. Either he really is or he's really not. We, we really need to break that down. We, we say, we, we, we give verbal and mental assent. I think we mean it. But we really need to think about, is it true? Is he really coming again? We find in the Bible he could come any time. But if I really believe that, that's going to change my entire mindset about life. It's going, to change, it's going to make me think differently about money and things because I know I'm going to lose them. I mean, either through death or through his return, but I know they're not eternal. If I believe that the things that are seen are temporal, I'm going to hold them very loosely. The things are okay, but we know they're, they're going to break down, rust, be stolen, or we're going to lose them somehow. But if I believe that, it's going to affect the way I live. And so then... Truth is effectual in that it's practical in the outworking. It's practical. He's, John said uh, in verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. You know what he's saying? A profession of truth is not necessarily what makes me rejoice. It's what reveals that you truly believe it that I rejoice in. May I say this? As a preacher of God's word and an under-shepherd of God's people, I'm not real concerned about the verbal assent or head nods or whatever we may have. What most rejoices the heart of someone who has spiritual care for another is seeing someone act on the truth. Seeing them act on the truth. That's what John's saying. I rejoice greatly to see that your, your faith has been transferred to the next generation and they're genuine. We are, look, we have a nation full of people who profess to believe the truth and don't. That's just the way it is. Profess to believe the truth, but the walk is completely and entirely unaffected by the truth of God's Word. There's enough of the mind of Christ revealed in this book that all you've got to do to have your life transformed is just believe it. Literally, genuinely, sincerely believe what God says. And it's transforming. And so truth is effectual. It's practical and it's outworking. It's perceivable in observation. You can tell when someone believes the truth. Amen? I understand there may be exceptions to that. Someone say, well, what about Lot? Well, even Lot left Sodom when he was finally told to. He He had to be drugged by the hand. But there was even some level of evidence that the man did believe what he was told. Now, I'm just going to try to tell you, I'm telling you this. It's, it's perceivable. John could tell. He said, your children are walking in truth. When we do not make decisions as a result of the truth we've heard, we're not walking in truth. We're, we're not walking in truth. And when we do, we're walking in truth. And it's perceivable when people make steps of faith in obedience to the truth of God. So it's practical and it's outworking. Walk. Perceivable. I rejoice when uh, he says, I rejoice greatly that I found, he could he observe it and see there was a conformity to the truth. And then thirdly, it's purposeful in its origin. We've touched on this already. He said, I received, rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. 
meaning the Father's commanded us, obey the truth I give you. Walk in truth. Live lives. First John 1 says we're to walk in the light, meaning we are to, to walk inside the revealed mind of God. And so then... Truth is effectual. So those four things again. Verse 1, truth is endearing. It's the basis of our fellowship and our unity. Truth is eternal. It will never pass away because the Holy Spirit of God is the author and the securer of truth. Number 3, truth is expedient. Uh, It is a means of God communicating His grace, mercy, and peace to us. And then fourthly, truth is effectual. And by the way, the expediency of truth, this is why you'll shrivel up spiritually when you get out of your Bible. That is God's source of truth to you. That's the Word of God. It's why you shrivel up spiritually when you get out of church and the teaching and preaching of God's Word. It's why we shrivel up. That's why people do so poorly spiritually when they withdraw. When we have the opportunity to do these things and we do not give ourselves to them, then we limit the amount of, 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 of th- grace, mercy, and peace God can minister to us. Truth is effectual, practical, perceivable, and purposeful. Mm-hmm.